the scripture. Please pray with me. <clears throat> Father, once again we come um, very needy to you, um, asking to be fed with your word. Holy Spirit, please come to us, fill our hearts. Um, as the word is read and preached and meditated upon this morning, would it do its work in us, convicting us of sin, shining its light into the dark crevices of our hearts, opening us up to love you, Father, as we ought, to love our neighbor as ourselves, transforming our lives where there is uh, stuckness, where we have uh, stuck habits, or patterns of sin. I pray, Holy Spirit, you would transform us into the likeness of Jesus. And we ask this in his mighty name. Amen. Well, uh, I don't know what kind of week it's been for you guys. I hope it's been a good week. Um, I was on vacation last week and back to work this week, and quite a lot of life happened this week. Um, this, these are things that happened to kind of friends of mine this week, um, mostly outside of this uh, congregation. But um, I got phone calls this week because of a father's death, a husband's suicide, a friend being served divorce papers, somebody in the ER with emergency surgery, uh, a couple of people with uh, COVID exposure, um, people with incurable mental illness, a friend lost a job, a friend was caught in an affair, and um, a close brother of mine was in the ER yesterday having been stung by a stingray. So it was quite a week uh, in the Hall House, uh, and uh, I was reminded of what Hamlet said in Shakespeare's play, he said, when sorrows come, they come not single spies, but in battalions. Um, and it seems to be that kind of a year for many of us, a battalion kind of year. So we ask again, what is God's lesson for us in this insane season? Um, and what hope can we hang on to to get us through all this? And so um, we looked at our lectionary readings for this week and no surprise maybe, Isaiah chapter 2 has the answer, has a really important message to bring us for what we're facing right now. So if you can grab a Bible, I'm not going to put it up on the screen, but um, if you can access a Bible, it's really going to help you to see this. Um, thank you, Anna Miriam, for reading all the way through to the end of the chapter, to the end of verse 22. You were right and the screen was wrong. Um, so thanks for following that through in your Bible. We're going to look at um, verse... 10 through 22 of Isaiah chapter 2. And if you have uh, ESV, then the heading of this section is the day of the Lord. This whole chapter 2 of Isaiah is about the coming day of the Lord. So beginning in verse 10, Isaiah says, Enter into the rock and hide in the dust from before the terror of the Lord and from the splendor of his majesty. And then a couple of lines down, For the Lord of hosts has a day, has a day against all that is proud and lofty, against all that is lifted up, and it shall be brought low. So what Isaiah says in this chapter is, as big as all of our problems are right now, they're still not as big as our sin problem. That remains our biggest problem. And as terrifying as all the news is right now, it's still not as terrifying as the day when God comes to judge that sin. So our conclusion is that if all the trouble of these days does no other good in our hearts, it should at least get us to wake up and pay attention to God and the reality of where we stand before him. God is good and he has a plan to get us out of this, but it's not a small problem and it's not an easy fix. We need total rescue. 
So the theme of Isaiah chapter 2, the whole chapter, is the day of the Lord. And we understand that this is a day that hasn't happened yet in history. It's a prophecy about things that are still to come. So in the first half of chapter 2, Isaiah describes the mountain of the Lord being lifted up above the other mountains and all the nations being saved and peace on earth, as Sarah was talking about, and swords being beaten into plowshares. And that's a wonderful day, the day of final salvation that we're all waiting for. But then here, in the second half of chapter 2, is the negative side of that same day. It's also the day of final judgment, right? So it's a day of hiding and terror and humiliation, when the Lord rises to terrify the earth, says Isaiah. Now, it's very interesting, isn't it, that Isaiah has this whole huge epic prophecy to tell, 66 chapters, one of the most magnificent books in Scripture. And on chapter 2, he's talking about the end. He starts his prophecy with the end of the story, with the day of the Lord that's going to come right at the end. And I think it's the idea of, like, you've got to get this clear in your minds first. Everything else about our lives makes sense in light of that reality of what's coming. Everything else is preparation. Everything else is prelude. We believe that the day of the Lord is coming. And it defines our whole lives. And I think it particularly defines this present moment. Because it teaches us what to make out of coronavirus and unemployment and conflict and riots and ra racial injustice. And it actually makes sense of all these things. Because all these things expose our sin, a real problem. And they expose sin's consequences. So our present crisis is a warning that there's still worse to come if we will not repent and much worse. What we're facing in the world right now also proves, I think pretty convincingly, that there is no hope for our world or for our souls unless God comes. Until he comes to rescue us, nothing is going to be right. But he is coming. He is coming. So we need to be ready. So three things out of Isaiah chapter 2. What will happen when the day of the Lord comes, what will people do and where can we hide? Okay, uh, what will happen when the day of the Lord comes? What will people do and where can we hide? The day of the Lord is coming. So first, what will happen when it comes? And Isaiah's answer is that what is lowly will be exalted and what is proud will be humbled. So as you read through the whole of chapter 2, it's really hard to miss this theme of high and low. High and low, it goes on and on, uh, of raising up and casting down, things being exalted, things being humbled. So verse 11 says, The haughty of man, the high and proud and arrogant of man, shall be brought low, and the lofty pride of men shall be humbled, and the Lord alone will be exalted in that day. That's verse 11, and verse 17 is almost identical. It says exactly the same thing, that the high are going to be brought low. And in between those two verses, in 12 through 16, Isaiah gives some examples of the kinds of things he's talking about. What are these high things that are going to be brought down? And first, in 13 and 14, he gives a list of natural things that are tall, 
right? So we've got the cedars of Lebanon, the oaks of Bashan, the lofty mountains, and the uplifted hills. They're all created things that are high. And God says these are all going to be brought low. And of course, there's nothing wrong with any of these things in and of themselves. God made them. He gave them their height and strength and beauty. But the problem was that people worshipped these things for their stature. And they set up altars to false gods on the mountains and the hills. So these things that humans have elevated and lifted up, God is going to cast down. All right. And then in verses 15 and 16, Isaiah has a list of man-made things that are strong. So he talks about every high tower, every fortified wall, all the ships of Tarshish, and all the beautiful craft. And again, there's nothing wrong with these things in and of themselves, but people had lifted them up and placed their trust and their security in these works of their own hands. So God throws them all down on the last day. No arrogant thing will stand. So in the day of the Lord, what is high, what is proud, what is celebrated in human cultures for being strong and lasting and stable and secure, these things are going to be thrown down by the God of heaven. So let me ask you, today, do you feel the foundations of your life shaking? Do you feel them shaking? Are you worried that our economy is going to collapse and all our jobs are going to disappear? And are you worried that our public buildings will be torn down or the police will be dismantled? And will our government tear itself apart? And friends, we know the answer to all of these questions is yes. Yes, all of these things are going to collapse. Maybe not this year, maybe not next year, but someday on the day of the Lord, everything will be torn down that people put their hope and their trust in. If there are things that men depend on for their security that are not God, then God is going to tear these things down when he comes. So if we feel a sense of chaos and uncertainty now, when this is only the prelude to that day, then what will we feel then if our trust is in these human things? If our real treasure is in the world's banks. We've got to get out of the market of this world because the day of, and it should shape how we invest today. Now, second, what will people do when God comes and they are not ready? What are people gonna do? And this is a really sobering answer that Isaiah gives. Isaiah says that people are gonna run terrified. So he says in verse 20, in that day, mankind will cast away their idols of silver and their idols of gold, which they made for themselves to worship, to the moles and to the bats, to enter the caverns of the rocks and the clefts of the cliffs from before the terror of the Lord and from the splendor of his majesty when he rises to terrify the earth. So what we have going on in 2020 is bad. It's hard. No joke. But when you look out your window, do you see people running in the streets, throwing aside their possessions into the ditches so that they can climb into the sewers and hide? Can you imagine the holy terror that would make your neighbors do such a thing? But Isaiah says here that they will. 
When God comes on the day of the Lord, if they are not ready, that is what they will do. No one is going to stand up and argue. No one will arm themselves to fight. And no one will hold up another God in their defense. They're just going to run terrified. Realizing in that glorious instant of actually seeing the living God, that they knew all along that this day was coming, that their ideas are nothing but lies, and their idols are nothing but trash, and their only hope now is to hide. Can you imagine the destitution of that moment? Everything that we are dealing with today is a day at Disneyland by comparison. And the reality is that there will be nowhere to hide. So could anything be more important than preparing ourselves for the day of the Lord and also for preparing as many of our neighbours as we can? Use whatever sense of fear and anxiety 2020 has given you as leverage to motivate you to get ready for the real storm. Once, we know as Floridians that once we've been through a few hurricanes, we all keep water and candles in the house, don't we? We get ready for the next one. And I'm sure all of us, now that we've been through coronavirus, we're all going to keep a stash of hand sanitizer, toilet paper and face mask in our attics for the rest of our lives, aren't we? But both of these calamities are merely preludes to the day of the Lord, which will be infinitely worse than either of them. So... What will we do now to get ready for that great and final catastrophe? The value of all the suffering and all the disasters in the world is that they lead us to humility and repentance. So remember Jesus, when the Tower of Siloam collapsed and a bunch of people died a tragic death, Jesus said it wasn't because they were worse sinners that they died, but he also said, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. So the last thing Isaiah has to offer us, the day of the Lord is coming. Where can we hide? Where can we hide? And Isaiah again has the answer. He has it in verse 10. And it's a bit of a paradox. But God commands, read this for yourself in verse 10. He commands through his prophet, enter into the rock and hide in the dust from before the terror of the Lord and from the splendor of his majesty. And this sounds like what people are doing later on, but it's actually subtly different. Because Isaiah says here in verse 10, in other words, to avoid fleeing in terror to the caves in the rocks later, enter into the rock now. And that rock is God himself. Hide yourself in God. So we remember in Deuteronomy 32, verses 3 and 4, this is what Moses says about God in a song. For I will proclaim the name of the Lord, ascribe greatness to our God, the rock. His work is perfect for all his ways are justice, a God of faithfulness and without iniquity, just and upright is he. And God calls himself the rock in several other places, including in Isaiah, where he says, there is no other rock. I know not any. Then later, in the New Testament, Paul repeats this idea, and Paul says in 1 Corinthians, the rock was Christ. Jesus is the rock made flesh, the son of Adam, who is also the son of dust. And Isaiah says, enter into the rock, hide in the dust, same Hebrew word. 
So Paul wrote in Romans chapter 6 that we read earlier today, that all who have been buried into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. We were buried, therefore, with him in baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So the answer to this question of where can we hide is full of ironies. It's a fascinating answer. Because the answer the Bible gives is that we hide from the splendor of the glory of God in God. We avoid the terror of God later by fearing God now. We avoid hiding in the rocks later by hiding in the rock now. And we escape the fear of death later by dying now. Jesus is the rock who was torn open on the cross to make a cave to hide in. So we sing, rock of ages, cleft for me, let me hide myself in thee. So if we find ourselves troubled or anxious or afraid right now, let's use this moment to ask ourselves, have I solved my real problem, my biggest problem of God's righteous judgment on my sin? Am I safely hiding in the rock of Jesus Christ for the coming day of the Lord and living, as Paul says, in that newness of life? Because if that's true, then whatever else is going on in my life right now, I can sing, it is well with my soul. And in that we rejoice even as we suffer. Now, as Isaiah brings chapter 2 to a close, it takes an interesting turn. We expect him to say at the end, therefore, be done with idols, right? That's the usual message of the prophets. And Isaiah does say that people will throw their idols away as so much trash. But his conclusion at the end of the chapter is, be done with man. Be done with man. This is verse 22. Stop regarding man in whose nostrils is breath, for of what account is he. And I want to finish with this and make this the focus of our discussion time. Because the command is to stop regarding man. Cease. Desist. Which implies that we're all doing it right now. We're already regarding man. We need to stop. And in the context, this is obviously not a command to stop loving man or serving him in love or listening to him when he speaks truly or obeying him when he holds authority. But it is a command to stop letting human voices, human wisdom, and human institutions define us. Who we are, what we think, our identities, our priorities, and our practices. We cannot listen to man to make those decisions. We must do much more listening to God and much less listening to man. And I think we might need this particular word now more than ever. My time is up, so I want to hand